Welcome to the gathering church. You can have a seat. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. What a gift it is to have you with us here today. We're just so honored that you're with us today. It's a great day to be here because it is day one of 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer begins today. We do 21 days of prayer twice a year in January. And then in August, we start our year with a pattern of prayer and fasting. And then by August, it's time for us to get a little detox from the year. We, we need to recommit ourselves. I think some of that good prayer magic wears off by the time we get to August. And we need to spend some time dedicating ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And so uh, we are starting that right now. And that this is a great time for you to get involved with our church to get plugged in and find out how to really be a part of it 21 days of prayer is pretty easy to follow it begins on sundays our sunday rhythm will change a little bit uh we'll do two songs in the beginning and then one song at the end instead of three all at once and that purpose is that we have a time of response and prayer and communion and all that good stuff at the end of the message Tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., you'll be able to log on to one of our social media pages or you can go to gatherashville.org slash prayer and find a live link or you can open up the Gather Asheville app and find information there to join us for a prayer prompt. Monday through Friday, we'll post those every day at 6.30 and uh, you can watch them all day long at a time that works for you. And I would encourage you to have about 30 minutes when you open that up. The prompt will be about 10 minutes long. It'll just be some scripture and uh, a little idea of where to go in a direction of prayer that day. And then we'll pray. Then you want to have time to pray. And we'll be committed as a church to unifying our prayers over this season of 21 days of prayer. I believe there is power when the people of God are in agreement in prayer. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to come alongside one another, unified in prayer. Then Friday, this week, and then Friday, the last week of 21 Days of Prayer, we have a worship night. And our worship nights are incredible. Our team really puts together a beautiful, intimate experience. It is not wild or weird. It is really a great opportunity for you to engage in a deeper way with your church community and with the Holy Spirit in worship. That is at Seacoast Church at 123 Sweeten Creek Road. You can Google it in your maps there and find it. Come join us at, at 6.30 out there on Friday. Uh, and child care is provided for those as well. So hey, come on. You can even get a little break from the kids while you worship Jesus on a Friday night. Come and join us for that. And so I believe it's going to be a powerful season of prayer. I, I believe God has really got some special things in mind for our church during 21 days of prayer this year, that he's got a word for us, that he's got some energy for us, that the Holy Spirit's going to wake up inside of us and that there is a powerful move of God coming this fall. And it starts right now with 21 days of prayer. And so join us in that. I also want to let you know that our mission team is currently in Costa Rica right now doing the work of God, spreading the gospel message where it is needed. And so keep them in your prayers as you pray each and every day over the next 10 days. Be praying for that team. Lift them up. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray for good health and safety. Pray for people that need to receive what the Holy Spirit is sending them to provide. 
to be in the right place at the right time. So, hey, let me pray for us as we get started in a new series today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. You are so good, and we want to know you more. We want to spend more time connected to you. We want to learn how to follow you better, how to become more like you, God. We want more of you. And we just ask that you would show us how. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, we are kicking off a brand new series today called The Way of Jesus. The Way of Jesus. I believe we got a great fall planned for you, church. We have this series, which I'll introduce in a second. We'll talk more about that. But then after that, we're doing a study on the book of Acts which is a great place to begin, especially if you're a new believer, because it is a, a study on what the early church looked like. And we're going to see how we can take that and apply it to who we are as a church today. And then after that, we're going into At the Movies, my favorite series of the year, the best time to invite your friends to church. Uh, we'll take some footage from a, a popular movie from the past year and uh, learn biblical truths from it. And it's going to be so much fun, you guys. There's costumes, there's popcorn, there's soda, and there's Jesus. You can't get enough of it. And so there's three weeks of that, and then after that, we're doing a series about the Holy Spirit that I can't wait for you to, to be able to uh, learn more about how we can live in the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, act under the power of the Holy Spirit, come to know and access the Holy Spirit. And, and so that is all coming as we get into the fall this year. It's going to be a great season for our church. The way of Jesus is the series we're starting today. And this series really is kind of a, if I could be honest, it's a commercial for our discipleship program here at The Gathering, which is called Practicing the Way. If you don't know about Practicing the Way, uh, it is how, I, I'm going to be frank, we have an agenda for you. In fact, everybody in your life has an agenda for you. The church is no different. Our agenda for you is that you might become a fully developed follower of Jesus Christ. That you might receive the peace, the presence, the power, the hope that comes from that, the purpose, the meaning that comes from that. And we believe that to get from here to there is a process. It takes time. It takes work. It takes knowledge, understanding. Understanding. It takes commitment. It takes all these things. And practicing the way is a piece to that puzzle. Uh, it meets at the last Tuesday of every month, beginning the last Tuesday of this month. Uh, we meet at, at uh, Arden uh, Radiant Church. And um, we will be uh, giving you all the details about times and location and all that kind of stuff as we get closer to that moment. But that is the last Tuesday of this month. We'll do a large group teaching on a practice, meaning uh, a spiritual discipline. And then in between, you'll go to small groups where you'll learn how to live that out in community with other people who are also learning how to live out that practice. It's really practical. It's really simple. It's not hard. Uh, and so practicing the way of Jesus kicks off with our small groups here very soon. And so uh, this series, my goal is to kind of give an over over overarching idea of what it means to practice the way of Jesus and then to catch you up on some of the practices that we've been through so far this year that I believe we need to constantly remember, constantly learn, and that we have never learned enough about. And so I'm excited about this series because in this series, I want to make a case for what Christianity really is and how we practice it. I believe that Christianity is more than a religion. It's a relationship. 
It's not something that we just believe. It's a way that we live, and it's a practice that we develop. That's what all the Scriptures are declaring to us. That's what Jesus was showing us. And that's the life that the apostles and all the disciples and saints who have followed them have lived. Maybe you're in here today because going to church is a lifelong tradition for you. You've just always shown up. Something you've always done. Maybe you're here today because you just need something quick that'll make your soul feel better. You need a little uplift, and so you're trying church. I get that. If that's you, I hope that you'll come each week during this series and lean into 21 days of prayer. I think you'll find something better than you were looking for in the first place. Maybe you're here today because you're looking for something that's going to lead you towards peace, satisfaction, happiness, purpose, meaning in your life. For a long time, we talked about those things in the church as though they were coming from a moment. We've spent a lot of time talking about moments in the American church, the moment of salvation, the day that you walk the aisle. I grew up in a Baptist church. I walked the aisle when I was nine years old. Anybody walk the aisle? Would you come forward today? And you walk that aisle, little nine-year-old boy, little John Mark, bowl cut, blowing in the wind, walking up the aisle. The, the moment that the pastor asked you to raise your hand, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just made that decision with me today, would you just lift your hands up high in the air? Nobody's looking around, but you and I both know everybody is looking around. Every single one of you is guilty of it. You've sat in that room and the pastor said, raise your hand. And you just kind of open one eye and you like look over here and you're like, oh my gosh, I knew they weren't saved. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> oh, moments, moments, the altar call, the, 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 the moment that we give our life to Jesus has been a high focus here in the American church. We spent a lot of time talking about it. it we spent a lot of time fixated on it and hoping that that moment was going to give us the peace, the satisfaction, the purpose that we long for. But that is an incomplete understanding of what Christianity is. Those moments, they really do matter. They're crucial moments. They're important. They're special moments. But they aren't what leads us to live the life that we're longing for. I believe that joy and peace and satisfaction and meaning don't come from a moment. That they come from a way of living. The way of living. The way of life. The way of Jesus. It was never meant to be just about a moment. It was always about the way. We see this played out plainly in the Gospels. One day Jesus is walking along the shore and he begins to gather his disciples. It says in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I always picture Forrest Gump there when he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock. Lieutenant Dan! And he just dives into the water and swims to him. That's exactly what James and John did according to scriptures. These men left their jobs, their belongings, their families behind. They weren't leaving their boats and nets on the shore so that they could experience a quick moment with Jesus that would send them back to their regular lives a few moments later. 
They were choosing to stop fishing for fish and to begin fishing for people. They were choosing a new way of life where everything would be different for them. They were deciding to follow this rabbi called Jesus so that they could be with him and learn from him and become more like him. We see them following him, serving him, learning from him, participating in ministry with him. They're, they're just doing everything that they can to become like Jesus. And then Jesus sends them to go and do the exact same things that Jesus is doing. In Luke chapter 9, it tells the story. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve Together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra t-shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people don't welcome you, leave their town. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. These 12 disciples go out on this mission to do what Jesus did, to apply the things that they've been learning. It's not just limited to this 12 disciples. We can read that and be like, well, that's what Jesus wanted the disciples to do. I'm obviously not one of the disciples. I mean, that was a long time ago, except that everyone that was following Jesus was called to a similar path. These guys were just getting it earlier. And there was different groups of disciples of Jesus. It was a lot of people that were following him at this time, but he had these 12 disciples who were close to him, who he was really training to be the leaders in the new movement called the way. And then there were 72 others who would help them and follow them. And then there was 120 beyond that. And, and then there was a large group who were going and checking everything out. And so we see here in Luke chapter 10, the next chapter, he sends the 72 out ahead of him. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, this is the pattern for the people who follow Jesus in the scriptures. They're with him physically. They learn to become like him. And then they go and they do the things that Jesus does. Jesus says this pattern is so important because the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I was getting my blood drawn this week down there at the VA. I go to the VA, Charles George Medical Center. I love it so much. And uh, I was getting my blood drawn and talking. I like to talk to people. I especially like to talk to people at the VA. They've all got a great story. And uh, the guy that's drawing my blood, it, we're chatting and he asks me what I do for a living. People probably ask you what you do for a living all the time. And it's just a normal part of a conversation. It's a regular thing. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in real estate or I'm a lawyer. Or, I, you know, I do this or that. And you, you just kind of move on. You've learned a little something about each other. You need to know that when people ask me what I do for a living, I know that things are about to get weird. It's just the way it is, you guys, okay? In fact, sometimes people ask me what I do for a living, and I say, well, I work with people. <laughs> this is a people job, you know. Well, what do you do with people? I don't know, this, a little this, a little that, you know, you never know. 
one day to the next. Could be different. You know, I do some public speaking also on the weekends. And um, so this guy, he asked, people ask you and you say you're a pastor, they're either going to treat you like you have COVID, you know, they're going to move away from you or they're going to confess their sins to you or they're going to, you just never, it's about to get weird. We're going to find out, you know, and this was a great scenario. This man asked me what I did for a living and I told him I'm a pastor and I pastor this incredible church called the Gathering Church, the best people you'd ever meet in your life. And he begins to tell me he's a, he's a church guy and a, a great believer. He's got a gospel trio and I asked him, he gave me his album and I listened to it. It's amazing. I love a gospel trio and I I don't care what you say, it'll never get old. And uh, anyways, it, one of the things that he said as we were wrapping up to finish is he looked at me and he kind of, his face got real solemn and he shook his head and he said, it's real bad out there, isn't it, Pastor? I hope Jesus comes back soon. Mm. Mm. I walked away thinking about that. You know, I really do. I think all believers, in fact, the Bible tells us we're, we're meant to ask, you know, and pray. Man, I hope that Jesus comes back soon and restores this, this place and brings the kingdom of heaven here into our, into our world and takes away the pain of the world and all these great things that are going to happen. I hope it happens soon. And I'm asking for it, God. In Jesus' name, I'm declaring it. However, when I think about how bad it is out there, I think about 2,000 different cultures over 2,000 years that the enemy has used to attack Christianity and attack the church. It's nothing new. It has been his strategy all along. And as I look in this world, what I see is a bunch of people who are hungry and starving for the things that I know only Jesus can provide. Hungry for spiritual connection. Hungry for relational connection. Hungry for meaning. Hungry for satisfaction. Hungry for peace. Hungry for joy. Desperate for what we have to offer. And I believe that the greatest problem our country faces right now is not the culture wars that we're in, but rather that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. This idea of what it means to follow Jesus is everything. Because we weren't called to believe in a moment. We weren't called to add something to our lives. We weren't called to bring something in and just make it a tradition or, or to look back on a moment we had at a summer camp when we were kids and say, I'm good now. I got my fire insurance. You know about your fire insurance? Your fire insurance, that's what you, if you grew up in the South, you probably know about that fire insurance. That's when the preacher speaks that fire and brimstone upon you. He said, hey, that hellfire is coming for your immortal soul if you don't give yourself to Jesus. And you're like, yes, I give myself to Jesus right now. Whew. And then every day from then on, you sleep a little bit better because if you die, you got that fire insurance. That is not what you have been called to. You have been called to a life lived following Jesus. The disciples left their nets on the shore to follow him. That is what you've been called to do to practice the way of Jesus. And how we do it is simpler than you think. It's not overly complicated. It is not one of those things. You don't have to have a degree in it. You don't have to. These, these men were uneducated, regular men who he started this whole movement with. He just wants us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. We be with Jesus. We become like Jesus. And we do what Jesus did. Let's take a look at these three things. The first one is, to be with Jesus, to be with Jesus. 
we got to start out with the fundamentals, the basics. It's just like learning a new sport. You always start with the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the game. And the fundamentals never start being, stop being an important part of the game. In fact, any fully developed and great athlete out there has worked hard to master the fundamentals. The fundamentals are at the root of every great athlete in Christianity. We need to focus and fixate on the fundamentals of how do we be with Jesus. Christianity, we constantly fixate on the fundamentals in order to practice the way of Jesus well. The first step, the most basic, the most important way to practice the way of Jesus is to be with Jesus every day. When Jesus called his disciples, they didn't just follow him in their hearts. They didn't just follow them in their minds. They weren't just with him in spirit. It says, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Look at this again. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, we treat this a lot like it says, without delay, he called them, and in their hearts, they left their father in the boat and followed him with their souls. These men physically got up. They dropped what they were doing. They practically followed Jesus. They were with him day in, day out in his presence. You are not following Jesus if you are only following him metaphorically. You have got to actually spend time with him. Be with Jesus. I was in the Coast Guard for eight years. Something you may not know about me. If you've been around, I've started a lot of stories that way. Um, And in the Coast Guard, there was always like this one particular guy that you would encounter at every unit, in boot camp, so on, so forth, who would talk a lot about his girlfriend. And he, he had this beautiful girlfriend, he had a picture of her, and he would talk about her, but she never really seemed to be around. You know, whenever we were in port or on Liberty together, whenever we were hanging around, she was never really there. Whenever everybody would go make phone calls, call their girls at the phone bank, we were on to, you know, in a port call or something. And you go to this, this was the, listen, I'm, it's, it's been a while, but back then there was like a big long line of payphone booths at the base and everybody would line up in the booths and call their girls and oh boy, with the girlfriend, he was never getting in that phone booth. And after a while, you kind of began to wonder if this girlfriend that he had was really just a dream in his heart. You know what I mean? What I learned about a relationship and my relationship, which was long distance with my wife, we dated for two years, long distance. In fact, the whole time we were dating, we never once lived in the same zip code. And what I learned about our relationship was that if I did not call her and spend time talking to her and around her regularly every single day, I didn't really have a girlfriend. I didn't really have a relationship. I just had an idea of a girlfriend. I just, I had an idea of a relationship. And a lot of us were treating our relationship with Jesus like that one guy that we're not really so sure if he ever actually has had a girlfriend in his life. A lot of us are treating our relationship with God in such a way that we expect somebody else to bring it to us, but we're not 
not doing the work to get in the presence and be with Jesus. So how do we do that? I think it's pretty simple. The practices of prayer, scripture, worship, fasting, and Sabbath. These spiritual disciplines are the building blocks of presence. They teach you how to regularly, daily be in the presence of God. Prayer, scripture, and worship need to be an every single day practice. Sabbath needs to be an every single week practice. And fasting needs to be a regular rhythm in your life. This is what the scriptures teach. Now, these first ones, prayer and scripture and worship, these daily practices, they're some of the easiest to acquire. And one of the things that I like to do is make sure that I give God the first of everything in my life. I see throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, this idea of the principle of the first in scriptures. It means that God gets the first of it. He gets the first part of my week as I worship on Sundays and Sabbath to him. He gets the first part of uh, my year as I fast and pray as we begin a new year. He gets the first part of my finances as I return the tithe to him. And he gets the first part of every single day. A lot of us are guilty of allowing the very first thing to enter our minds in the morning being our news app on our phone, or the social media apps that we follow, our favorite account uh, uh, content creators. We let it be uh, whatever it might, emails, our emails and notifications that are lighting up our phones. We roll over in bed and we immediately start to engage with them. I would encourage you to let the presence of Jesus be the very first thing that you encounter every single day. I wake up in the morning and the very first sound to hit my ears, unless my kids get up before me, which happens, which in that case it's yelling, but if I can avoid that, the very first sound that hits my ears is worship because I find that it shapes my heart in the right direction for the day, that I'm being with Jesus in the very first parts of my day. I come downstairs and start making my coffee, and I say, Alexa, good morning. And Alexa immediately starts pray, playing House of Miracles, one of my favorite songs. It reminds me that this house, the house that we are building, my house, my family, is a place where God does miracles, that he is not finished here, that he's just begun. I go into my closet right after I, I get out of bed, and as I'm getting dressed, I put on my phone, what a beautiful name is one of my favorite worship songs. The first thing I hear every morning, and it's just pure word. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And I just worship. I turn my heart towards him in the first thing. And then the first app that I open every day is the Bible in One Year app. It's where I read my daily scriptural devotional plan. For you, it could be the Bible app. You could download a different Bible app, or you could use an actual paper Bible if you want to reduce your blue light throughout the day. You can do it. Uh, and... Uh, Either way, let that be the first thing that you're consuming. This doesn't have to take all day. Maybe you get up early. Maybe you got a tight schedule. Maybe you got little kids running around you as soon as you wake up. All those reasons, I understand that you may not do an hour right as you wake up, even though I think if you can, you absolutely should. But if you just give a few minutes to worship, to that prayer, I mean to that scripture, and then to opening up in prayer, it will change your day. Daily time in the presence of God is crucial and it is necessary. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branchers, branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And if you remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And a disciple is someone who knows how to be like Jesus to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Verse 7 here unlocks the key. If my words remain in you, ask and it will be done. Scripture and prayer. With another translation, instead of remain, it says abide in me. And I love the idea of abiding in Christ. Through daily scripture and prayer, we abide in him. Make it a daily habit. If, you, if prayer is something that's new, scary to you, intimidating, if you go to gatherashville.org slash prayer, our 21 Days of Prayer site, you will find we have a PDF version of a book that is called Pray First. And it is a resource filled with templates and instructions for prayer. It will very plainly and simply teach you how to pray. Every day I pray one of the prayers from that book. I use templates for prayer. It's great for my ADHD brain. And uh, we're going to do a whole message on prayer in this series. And so I'll get into all of that and what that looks like. But you can start today by going to that gatherashville.org slash prayer and get that Pray First book and begin to pray and read Scripture and worship every single day. And then you need to find a Sabbath in the Lord. We're going to talk more about that as well. But you need to give a day to worshiping and resting in Him. And then you need to create a routine of fasting. Fasting is an important part of a Christian life, of being a disciple of Jesus. Fasting is saying no to something your flesh wants so that you can say yes to something your spirit needs. We starve the flesh to feed the spirit. It just creates good discipline inside of us to pursue the Holy Spirit better. And when we are starving our flesh and feeding our spirit, we're very intentionally in the presence of of God. We talk about a pathway, spiritual pathway here at the gathering. The very first step on it is to know God, just to know him. These are the ways that we spend time in his presence and come to know him personally. Second thing is this, be with Jesus Become like Jesus. The disciples got out of the boat and they left their tax collecting tables or whatever it was that they did before and they physically followed Jesus. They were there with him every day. And their goal as disciples was not just to watch him or to see him, to hang out and listen to him, uh, to subscribe to his podcast, but really it was to become more like him. This is the goal of a disciple. This is what a disciple does. And our goal today as disciples of Jesus and practitioners of the way is the same, to become like Jesus. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, And we all, meaning followers of the way, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The more that we are with Him, the more we behold His glory, the more we are in His presence, the more we are transformed to become His image. 
And that's the goal, very simply put. God doesn't just want you to know Him. He wants you to become like Him. That's how you were designed to live. That's where you will find your greatest joy. That is where the peace you have longed for lives. Genesis tells us we were created in the image of God, but that image has been corrupted through sin and the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our own hearts. But because of the sacrifice and the gift of Jesus, as we follow him as his disciples, we are recreated into the image of God. The more we are with him, the more we become like him. We're not going to get it right every day all the time, but we just keep moving towards it. It encourages me to remember that the disciples who were physically with Jesus didn't get it right all the time. There is a great story where Jesus has been telling the disciples the whole time he's known them that he is going to die for the sins of the world. He's been saying it. He starts saying it kind of in vague, opaque ways. And then as he gets closer to the time, he gets very specific. And if they were really, you know, on top of it, these disciples would have known it all along. But this is towards the end of this time that they have together, Jesus tells the disciples what's going to happen. And one of his disciples, Simon Peter, the ex-fisherman, says, no way, I'll never let that happen. I'll defend you to the end. And it says, Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, don't you know that you done messed up when Jesus looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. That being a disciple doesn't mean you get it right all the time. It doesn't mean that you are always on the A-list. Sometimes you get your sticker removed from the chart, you know. Occasionally you mess it up. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple has to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and follow me. That was the lesson he was trying to teach, was that I need you to be willing to die for this as well. Six days after this moment, six days later, Peter is standing with Jesus as God reveals Jesus' resurrected body to him. It's called the transfiguration. It's a special moment where Moses and Elijah and Jesus were seen communing together before Jesus died on the cross. The point is that you're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to be just like Jesus and follow him. All of us get caught in traffic on 26 and don't look nothing like Jesus for a few minutes. It's going to happen. But that does not mean that we don't keep trying, keep pursuing, keep spending time in his presence, keep trying to become like him because we never know when around the corner is that moment where we get to be in his resurrected glory, surrounded by his presence, becoming more and more like him. So how do we do that? The way that we become like Jesus is to find freedom from our sin, our guilt, and our shame, and to discover our purpose and live it out in him. Paul says this in the message version. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowledge in knowing him personally, to know God, your eyes focused and clear to d find freedom so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that he has for his followers, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, the endless energy and boundless strength to discover your purpose, to make a difference. This is the plan that God has always 
had for you. As you follow Jesus and really follow him and do the hard work of getting free from your sin so that you can see the incredible work he's calling you to do, he will reveal your purpose inside of you and give you the means to go and live it. You were made with a purpose. You weren't made just to exist as a patron or a passenger in this life. You're not at church just to watch church. You were created with magnificent purpose given to you by the one who made you. And that purpose, just like the purpose of the very first disciples, is to glorify God, to serve people, to build the church, and to bring the gospel message to everyone who could hear it. And so where do we begin? I believe you need to begin in a small group. We're starting right now to recruit leaders for our small groups. And we need you to lead a small group. We need you to step in and create tables for people to gather around. Maybe it's a practicing the way group or another small group. You just need to join one and get vulnerable and build relationships and begin to find freedom in those spaces. Live in community. That's what we see Jesus doing. He spent time at the table with people regularly. Then you need to join the dream team and begin to serve the Lord using the gifts he's given you. Building the church is about reaching our community with the message of Jesus to make our community a better place. That's a mission that takes more than just me or our staff. It takes all of us working together using the gifts, the passions, and the abilities that God has given us. And as you access those gifts, you will learn more about them you will discover your purpose, and in doing so, you will be becoming more and more like Jesus. Don't just learn about God. Don't just learn about Jesus. Live like him. Become like him. And do what Jesus did. The last thing is this. Do what Jesus did. Look at the believers in Acts. Jesus had ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit had just descended from heaven. They're now filled with the Spirit, and they're beginning with Jesus. Uh, they're being with Jesus. They're becoming like Jesus. They're now going to do what he did here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to those who had need. Every day they began to con they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three key things they were doing. They were sharing the gospel daily, daily. So the apostles were teaching and they were learning from that teaching. And then every day they were gathering in the temple courts, which was the center of those communities where all the people were. That's where they were going so that they could share this message of Jesus. They were living in community. That's what Jesus did. He, he made disciples by, by living in community alongside one another, being there for one another, holding one another up, celebrating, mourning, all these things together, breaking bread around a table together. And they were serving one another and serving the city around them. A key point in Jesus' teaching, and what he expected from his disciples and his followers, is to be servants, to serve this is how we need to live as well. 
We boldly share the word of God and tell people about the kingdom of heaven, which is what Jesus did his whole ministry and the very work he commissioned the disciples and all of us to do. We live in real, genuine community, honest, open, vulnerable. We share the table together. Life isn't meant to be lived alone. We're built for relationships, and so we build them, and we serve. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't make it about the fire insurance. But through love, serve one another. The problem for a lot of us is that we receive freedom from Christ and we're saved by grace through faith. And we take all that to mean that we can just add this to something we believe in. We're good. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But there's a lot more to it than that. This freedom isn't an opportunity for our flesh. We are called to more, to be more to practice the way of Jesus, to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did, to serve one another through love. And as we live that life, to find greater satisfaction, peace, blessing, joy, meaning than we ever even imagined was possible or waiting for us. And if you're ready to begin that journey today, it does begin with a moment. Moments are important and they're powerful, but they act as a beginning. The moment for Peter and Andrew was when Jesus said, come and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they got out of the boat. Now from that day on, they followed him. There was a lot to come. I guarantee they didn't understand it or know it. Really weren't that much thinking about it the day they got out of that boat. They just knew that they wanted it, that they needed it, that they were made for it. So they started following him. And maybe you're in that position today. You're in the boat. And you're made for this moment. And he is saying, come, follow me. And it's time for you to drop the nets and step out in faith. And if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this all on my own. Forgive me for making it about a moment, for making it about something that happened years ago. I want to follow you. Make me a fisher of man. All that I am from this day on, I am yours. In Jesus' name.